286 with Bethany Rolando. And last time, we talked about getting into Antarctica. Oh, my microphone's not turned all the way up. Last time we talked about getting into Antarctica, and last week I had on, for everyone listening, I had on Dr. Jerome Corsi and his book, Hunting Hitler, and new evidence of uh, the Nazi high command escaping. We know that was a thing. We know the Mossad found Adolf Eichmann in, uh, I think, the 40s or was it 50s in uh, South America. We know Mengele died of a stroke while swimming in South America. And there are, I guess, there are reports of Hitler and, and Eva Braun appearing in Antarctica. Point being is the entire thing's kind of absurd. And for everyone that doesn't know, in 1947, the United States sent down uh, an aircraft carrier and 10,000 troops during Operation High Jump under Admiral Byrd, B-Y-R-D, to Antarctica, which is a little weird, sending down like an entire, like, armada like in a like a normandy invasion force just to go quote unquote check it out but we also know that the nazis went down there in 1938 on the ss schwabia and they set up new schwabenland and they heinrich himmler wanted to set up a uh, base 211 which is going to be a nazi base admiral dernitz the one who succeeded hitler um, went down there with u-boats and had some really weird quotes about setting up a shangri-la at the bottom of the earth which is odd and um, we know that they put five-foot-tall metal spikes dropped from planes all along the coast with swastikas at the top. That's that's not a conspiracy. That is that's what they did. They did it in thirty-eight, and they announced it. So we kind of got into that last time because Bethany, like me, loves UFOs and the absurd. And I've now been talking for almost two minutes without letting you say a word. So sounds like you pretty much covered it. Okay. Well, is that it? Is that the end of the podcast? Did we finish? ever okay well shortest podcast ever uh everybody stay safe and uh see you next time but yeah no we want to get into antarctica because it is absurd there's no way around that it is absurd it's absurd that john Kerry went down there on election night 2016 it's absurd that the head of the russian orthodox church went down there it's weird that buzz aldrin went down there and then was medically evacuated it's weird that the nazis went in 38 and no not only that the admiral we sent down in 47 shh don't, don't you do that. The Admiral we sent down in 47, the Nazis tried to contract him to come down with them in 38, which is a little weird. But I'm now coming on three minutes of me talking, so. It sounds like you just, you've got it all pretty much covered. You but are, I'm yeah. About, I'm talking about Antarctica because that's what your guests, your followers all wanted to hear us talk about in the comments when we... More, more importantly, okay. that's what I want to talk about. So what? I said more importantly, it's what I want to talk about. Okay, yeah, that's true. You're not beholden to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I'm really excited to be back to talk about it. I'm glad that people wanted to have me back on to talk about it. There's a lot going on down in Antarctica and a lot of question marks. And so, yeah, you know, it was pretty weird that Hitler was exploring Antarctica, but when he initially went down, he said it was because of exploration, just kind of like the United States did. The timing is interesting because they were planning this during their war planning period because they were going to invade Poland a year from the date that they went down. And so really it's a question of, was it really about a breakaway civilization? I really, so I used to think so, but now I don't. Because at the time Hitler was actually the odds of them winning in the war, they were very confident the odds were in their favor. And so I don't really necessarily think it was oh, an escape. This was something that they put a lot of thought into and something that uh, they invested a lot of time, effort, money mm -hmm. in. Um, but the timing is interesting. 
as you said, in 1938. Yeah. And the drop goes down um, all over the island. And, yeah. And, um, you know, the United States going down Operation High Jump. And that was also supposed to be an exploration yeah. on the United States part. And we ended up losing men. I mean, we had aircraft carriers, we had, you know, helicopters and, and planes and all of this equipment and, and men lost their lives over it. And then it was pretty much never spoken of again. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention Admiral Byrd came back up and who was like appointed by FDR originally before obviously FDR died in 45. But this or this guy... Is that whenever Admiral Byrd, whenever they fled, they actually stopped in Chile first. And so um, Byrd actually did an interview with um, a, a journalist on the El Mercurio, I think is the name of the, the newspaper. And he actually made a statement, and I'm not going to quote it because it's not exact words, but that the U.S. would have to be prepared to fight with with UFOs in the yeah. future. Covering crafts that can shoot from back and forth and, and left and right, and they come together and they separate rapidly. They can hover without movement in the air, which is way more advanced than anything that we had yeah. at the time. And so whenever he got back to the United States, he was taken to the hospital. He was incommunicado for like five days, and then he was told to never speak publicly about it ever again. Yeah. he Admiral Byrd literally came out and said, I think the loose quote is, the next war will be fought with craft that can travel at incredible speed from pole to pole. That's it. Yeah. And they're supposed to go down for six months. They ended it in two months. (laughs) Um, They sent 13 ships actually. And then one aircraft carrier I looked up was the Philippine sea. And so these were really large. Yeah. Yeah. It was large equipment that we were sending down for for exploration. For for exploration. Which I mean, I guess, I guess kind of makes sense, right? Because if, but if you look at it from like the 1800s standpoint, right, like an 1800s, early 1900s, sort of like colonial, not colonial, imperialist way, we would go, quote, explore new lands that had spices and gold. And we would go explore with 10,000 troops. Yeah. I mean, let's just be real. We were going in there to slaughter the indigenous and take all their stuff. But, okay, that would make sense if we were going to explore whatever, Australia, but we went to Antarctica where there's supposedly no indigenous or no life for us to have to, you know, go fight and, you know, create a trade route with. So even if you take that sort of imperialist kind of oppressive viewpoint, why were we doing that in Antarctica other than to go it? after the Germans? Yeah. And then also it was interesting because I'm not Oberth, Oberth, one of the scientists. Herman Oberth. Yeah. He actually said, you know, we were helped. Yeah. He oh, yeah. Asked- you know, it wasn't Germany. I mean, Germans are smart and they're, you know, they're good at what they do, but they, he even admitted publicly that yeah. it was, it was help from. Yeah. Yeah. Us. Yeah. They said they had help from aliens. I mean, um, oh, what the heck is her name? I cannot remember her name, but that girl who was in the, the Vril Society, V-R-I-L, which was like an occult group yeah. there. Um, or, t- or, or, um, uh, Mar- uh, Ma- Maria Orsich. Orsic. Or, or Orsic. Yeah. 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 She was in the Vril, the German Vril Society. She claimed that she could telepathically communicate with aliens. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, a part of one of the stars and that was like 60 plus light years away from, from Earth. Yeah. And she's, I think. Hitler actually found her to be the, you know, epitome of like the ideal uh, alien. Yeah. Female. Yeah. No, she wasn't, she wasn't some, you know, she wasn't 
smoking bath salts out of like a tavern somewhere like hitler hitler thought she was the ideal i think the quote is the ideal aryan maiden she thought that she thought that she was in touch with uh through telepathic connections yeah through seances and uh sex rituals she thought she could contact beings from aldebaran the star aldebaran as well as i think beetlejuice and one of the things that she was supposedly given yeah but really is um yeah one thing, one of the things she thought she got was like schematics for like a craft, which Alex Jones said that on his second appearance on Joe Rogan. I don't believe this, Jones, but the Nazis believe it. They thought they could get in touch and they were given advanced technology from an off-world, uh, off-world being. But it's kind of weird because she did say this back in like the 40s. I think it's 100 percent legit. Why wouldn't it be? And, and I bring this up and for everyone. Yeah, of course, I have my Alex Jones hoodie on. But the one that's so popular. The yeah, I know. But it's awesome. But I mean, but we've but that's I'm going to get way off topic. But yeah, no, it's the why wouldn't it be something like that? Right. We know that there are aircraft dropping supplies in World War Two in the South Pacific. And every once in a while, the supplies would land on the wrong island. And the indigenous people would think it was God because it was. They had never seen anything. All of a sudden, they're getting bottled water and food. So sure, but even then, but point being is, yeah, Maria Orsich, Herman Oberth said that we are helped by someone else, right? So yeah. So how do we tie this back down to Antarctica? Well, it's it's interesting because people say that Antarctica is kind of the, the central crossing hub between aliens and humans. It's not the only one. I mean, they have hubs in, in Egypt and Argentina and Australia and Alaska. I mean, there's stuff all over the place, but um, this is the most accessed and most used. And there was actually a whistleblower, two of them, one from the Marine Corps and then a U.S. Navy SEAL who gave their entire story about their personal experience visiting Antarctica. And they would do it usually the way that we go in and out of Antarctica in terms of these bases, is that what you're talking about? Do you want to get into like the whole fact that there are bases and uh, buildings that are there that are made of um, um, like, uh, it looks like black marble and there's only about 18 feet or so that you can see outside of the snow, but you can't miss it because it's shiny and black and um, glittery. And then whenever you go in, it's, I mean, it takes up each, each base takes up 62 acres of land and it's all under the ice in Antarctica. So is, who's, who's that from? That's from the Navy SEAL? Yeah. So this is from a U.S. Navy SEAL and a, a former, he left the service in I think 2004 and then a former um, U.S. Marine. So I guess the question is, is were the Nazis going there simply to originally so originally it's what we're laying out is later on in the 40s it could have been seen as like that was their golden parachute that was their bailout early on it was no we are the thousand year reich and we're going to conquer the world do you think well, that's exactly what it was i mean hitler wanted yeah. to wipe out and create a dominant race everywhere was- oh yeah no no he had plans to he had plans to build structures all across the united states no he he wasn't he wasn't just going to take the sudetenland and Liebensraum. He, was, he wanted the earth. Well, and it's interesting to talk about the Aryan race because the word Aryan, I think, actually has ties back to like Iran or Iraq. And Iran actually means um, kingdom of the Aryans or something like that. And and so they, it goes all the way back to that. It ties back to that. Have you, have you seen that? I could probably Google it really quick. Mm-mm. But I. Uh, I know they found swastikas in ancient civilizations 
back to the dawn of time and on every continent, the okay. Nazis. Yeah. Too, if you want. <laughs> no, no, dude, do it all. I don't no, do it all. It's I wanna know. I thought I wrote it down somewhere. Um go ahead though. Okay, oh I found it. Hitler wanna install humans. Aryan means Aria, the West Indian. Iran means kingdom of the Aryans. The first uh known civilization to call themselves Aryans, uh, Aryans was an Aryan Varta in fifteen hundred BC, um, which is which is over there. Um, and then a French author made it about race in the 1800s. Whenever he wrote, <clears throat> whenever his name was Nicholas Good Good Goodard um, Clark, and he wrote a book about how Aryans are the superior race yeah. over other race, and so it became a political ideology from from that point on. Yeah, well, that and and tried to push forward. Yeah. Well, that was their that was their whole reasoning behind Liebenstrom was it wasn't just that, right? Because it's kind of like the United States with Manifest Destiny. You can't just kind of go and be like, we're going to kill everyone. Like you got to put a little bit of dressing on, like a little window dressing. Be like, no, uh, God said we can. So we're all like, okay, okay, you can do it. That's what they did with Liebenstrom was like, we need living room. That's what or living space. That's just like we as the perfect people, we need living space. We kind of got to throw some elbows, maybe kill everybody. But, you know, hey. Here's a new home in a in a big lawn. I guess that's true. That could be true. I've been thinking about it. What were his motivations? I mean, I definitely think that he was an evil human who wanted power um, and complete control. But if he was interacting, communicating with aliens at that time, you know, was it from something he just felt in himself, or was it a part of another plan that was helped put together from a? a a species of aliens because there are several different types of aliens out there. Um, the same whistleblower, this former U.S. Navy SEAL, actually confirmed that there were seven that he knew of that we were in communication with for in favor of um, helping the planet and, and three that were trying to destroy the planet. So it's it's just it's a fractal, right? So it's so it's proxy wars. It's back to us. And China and the Soviet Union or Russia in Vietnam, in Korea, in Syria now, in the Middle East, like it's all so it's all proxy war. The thing is, is that everybody's in on it, right? So that was that's the thing that actually got me into Antarctica in the first place is whenever John Kerry went down at the end of 2016 and then he came for exploration again. Everyone's going for exploration. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. people are great. You've got to go see it. You got to just, yeah. Um, comes back and he institutes this 35 year ban. Not a ban, but you can't go to Antarctica unless you require, like, acquire permission from the UN, essentially. And that's when I started looking into Antarctica. How long have you been into Antarctica? <sighs> probably like, probably like 20, 2018. Well, I don't know, because I thought it was weird, because I first started following, again, when John Kerry went down in 2016. I thought that was odd. I thought it was uh, odd. Same time, probably probably yeah. about the same time, yeah. But what really got me more and more was i don't know 2019 reading about um all the nazis that actually i always i always thought it was a conspiracy that they went to south america until it was like no israeli Mossad literally went down and kidnapped adolf eichmann and brought him to israel and put him on trial and hung him like it was that's a fact and so that kind of blew my mind why did you think that it was a conspiracy though it was just one of those general like i kind of looked at it and i was like oh that's just absurd 
just in general, which a lot of this stuff always turns out to be true. Like, oh, it's absurd. We didn't do that. Why would, you know, I think before I ever heard about Operation High Jump, I'm sure I'd seen like thumbnails of it on YouTube. And I was like, that's just, that's some just crummy, like, you know, clickbait. But then like we actually did go and it's very odd. Incredibly odd. And the fact that we have all of these facilities under the ice, because, you know, we have bases on top of the ice, you know, and uh, the American bases, McMurdo, mm-hmm. and there, there's a no-fly zone right after you get to pole um, next to the Beermore Glaciers. There's, like, a no-fly zone. There's actually a really interesting story what? by uh, somebody told Linda Moulton Howe, who um, I would encourage anybody to look into. I, I, I love her. Um, but he was one of the pilots on the plane um, that would travel back and forth, and, and they there was a burn incident, like a kitchen explosion in uh, the Australian base camp, which was on the east side. And they had to get there. They knew it was going to be like a five-hour flight. And they, the captain said, you know, does anybody know why we can't go over this no-fly zone? We need to, you know, cut out significant amounts of time. Yeah. We need, the guy needs, he needs a mud back with ASAP. And the answer back was that, uh, they wanted to protect the air in that area of Antarctica. And he said, but we're going to be 35,000 feet in the air. We're not going to impact anything about the air down there. <laughs> He's like, let's just go. Uh, he made a judgment call. They ended up flying over the no-fly zone. Everybody who was on that plane had their head like out the window trying to see what was in this no-fly zone. And it was a hole, and it looked like it was a ramp going down into the ground, Um it looks like it was like a visual, um, like an eye trick, a visual trick, mm-hmm. but it, like, it was something that was like going kind of down into the ice. And then there were a whole bunch of rumors about it in 1995, 97. And that time frame, the national science foundation of scientists that went down from America were at that base, supposedly going around that circle. Um, and they ended up, they were supposed to call in every 24 hours after they were dropped off to be told that they were okay. They didn't call. And then like on the fifth day, people flew out there on the plane. The same guy that gave the testimony to Linda um, flew out. Nobody was there. There was zero movement. Everybody was totally perplexed. A week later, so now the scientists have been missing for two weeks, they automatically arrive. And so then they go back out to get them. And they think that these scientists are gonna be so excited. They're gonna be like, well, we're saved, thank goodness but that they were all just very quiet, that they were all standing in a line, that they all got on the plane. At one point, Brian um, asks the guy talking to Linda, leans over and puts his hand on the guy's knee or shoulder and says, is there anything I can do for you? And the guy doesn't respond to him, doesn't say anything, and just looks down at the ground. They all just look down at the ground. Whenever they get there, they're immediately whisked away and they're taken to New Zealand and never to be seen by that crew that was at McMurdo ever again. But there were a whole lot of rumors about how they were doing something around that hole in the fly zone and that it had to do with aliens and um, that they hoped that nothing happened to them. But I do not, if you look at anything about alien encounters and how that impacts you physically, it has the ability to totally throw you off, mm-hmm. uh, knocks you out for hours for some people. I mean, it you can have a heart attack because they communicate I guess telepathically. Mm-hmm. So um, we just don't have the capacity to, to deal with it. Yeah, that's what Jesse Marcel said, the first guy to uh, who 
who died a while ago, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Jesse Marcel is the first person to, uh, I guess, arrive to the scene of the crash of the crashed uh, flying disc, per the U.S. Army's words, in uh, July 1947 in Roswell, New Mexico. And he said it was weird because he said that there were there were three there were three aliens two were dead which is kind of the widespread kind of agreement is two were dead and one was badly injured and he said that the one that was badly injured said to him uh there's nothing you can do to help like i'm basically like i'm gonna die because it was very weird because it just if there was no word spoken because it was just it was just in my head and he goes and i didn't know what that was and uh colonel corso who worked in the pentagon who's very high up, who wrote the book The Day After Roswell. He died a while ago. I mean, he was a colonel in World War II. He's not a young guy, obviously. But his whole thing, too, is like he, he saw like an alien being in the desert near a crash, and he said friend or foe, and it telepathically said neither. But the point is, is it's like a it's an odd telepathic thing, right? Same guy, Admiral Byrd, on top of you know saying that the next war will be fought with flying disks of immeasurable speed going from pole to pole, he also said, Admiral Byrd, look it up. He said that when he flew over, look, the, it, up. look it up now. Look it, I'm telling you, Joe, it's interdimensional aliens. I have, I'm just saying, I have good sources. But it's, but really, he said that he flew over the South Pole, and he said that, I swear, he, his words are that he was taken down and he was basically debriefed. By an alien race for three hours and i know that sounds insane but that is his words not mine and if you actually go back and find the itinerary there was so much said that's what i don't get people say it's a conspiracy or that it sounds insane it actually makes way more sense than a lot of other theories that are out there yeah and also not all aliens communicate telepathically because there are humanoids that exist and if you go down that whole path which i'm happy to go down um they uh that's Alex Jones's other take on uh, the Greys, right? He says that the Greys are actually sort of like drones that an even more advanced species uses to monitor us. It's interesting that you say that because there is an interview done. It was a former U.S. Air Force colonel, and he um, was doing an interview with Anthony Sanchez, who's a UFO investigator. And Anthony recorded their conversation, and this U.S. Air Force colonel told the story about two species, and this is actually the origination, the origination story of how we got here. So they seeded us. Mm-hmm. Two aliens, one were tall, pale humanoids, so they were uh, tall, lanky, white, and then there were the grays. And the he would call the tall, pale humanoids progenitors because they're the root race of our solar system. Um, the progenitors would sneak on to the gray's planets and steal minerals that they needed to survive. And we can talk about the planet that they were living on and how their solar system is elliptical compared to like our solar system. And, um, but that they went on to steal stuff to keep their planet going mm-hmm. all out war and, um, uh, uh, Zeta reticuli one and two and the grays chased them out. And so then whenever the progenitors arrived into our solar system, they first went to Mars. And that's why you see those Cydonia, you know, the city of Cydonia, the markings, the mile-long, like, face, and and all the exact things that you see on the moon, um, on on the backside, as well as internally. 
um, are from those progenitors who are trying to make life happen for them because um, John Brandenburg, who's a nuclear physicist, and he actually did a conference at NASA um, to talk about this. He wrote a book, and the name of the book was called Death on Mars, actually. Death on Mars. And it was about Xenon 129. Mm-hmm. A byproduct of nuclear warfare. Two hydrogen bombs went off and it almost obliterated uh, the progenitor's um, population. And so what they're trying to do is, one, find a planet where they can survive and keep their race alive. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm not sure about the communication or the drone. I think that the greys, according to this U.S. Air Force colonel, were just regular Mm -hmm. great. It's not like... Yeah. Well... Another odd thing is um, Joseph McMonagall, who I've been trying to get in contact with, but um, who Dr. Alexander knows, the the guy that wrote the book Proof of Heaven. Everyone knows him. and But Joseph McMonagall was the head of um, Project Stargate under the CIA in the Cold War, which was the remote viewing program, which the head of the CIA at the time, I think it was William Colby or William Casey, said Joseph McMonagall can see anything in the world at any time. And they use him for... They want if they want to find out where like general tank movements are, or if they want to quote see the uh, ignition device of a Chinese nuclear weapon, they use this guy. And it was not like hocus pocus. This guy was like top uh, top secret class or excuse me clearance. And they tested one on him, and they gave him coordinates. And what they what he didn't know was that they were giving him coordinates of Mars. And I think people have heard this before, but where he says he saw like a destroyed civilization. And like the exact like I guess numbers and date was that it was supposed to be like one million or one billion BC on uh, Mars. But his whole thing is yeah, there's two faces on Mars. It's a, you said one of them. I don't remember it. What was the name of it? Sidonia. Sedo- and then the other is like it's called like Chaos Galactus or something, and it's on the exact other side. And he said yeah, yeah, they were wiped out. And here's this guy, and he goes, and then he goes, they came to Earth and they seeded Earth. And uh, he says, or sorry, before they even got to Mars, he said that they collapsed the uh, the super large planet that we know as the sun. He goes, it was a super large gas giant. They collapsed it and said, let there be light. And that's how life started in the solar system. And that's what this head guy, the CIA said, <laughs> like, like what, like what's going on? Like what's actually, it's. I haven't that far down that yet. I haven't heard that part. That's I have, interesting. Yeah. Well, you were saying something about being seated here. Mm-hmm. So if you go back into, you know, the very beginning of time, the uh, Sumerian text, they, they talked about how the Anunnaki were the aliens that came here and that they found a lot of mineral rich things in, in Africa and the Middle East, but Africa is a super uh, mineral metal rich uh, content and they needed they needed gold because of the the elliptical. So you know you have our solar system and we're like this, and they're going like this. Mm-hmm. And so they needed um, gold to protect them from radiation on their planet, and so they would come to Earth and harvest it out of that. But they had these certain aliens called the Igigi, I G I G I. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they had them mining for gold and and all the other things that they were looking for. But they grew weary and rebellious because that's not what they were supposed to do. They never signed on to be minor. And so that is supposedly based on the Sumerian text, the origination of what became Adam. So the Anunnaki, the Enlil, the Enki, they all got together 
and they all contributed DNA along with a female um, a goddess because she was the um, she was the uh, repository for for you know what was to come, um, and they became Adam. And that's why they say, you know, we became like them because we knew the difference in, in life and death and knowledge of good and evil. What um, I feel like you're wanting to say something. No, no, no. I'm no, I'm just no, I'm 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 hooked. Well, I'm just thinking of all the weird similarities. Right. Because what did Bob Lazar say? Bob Lazar said that on top of the whole, you know, UFO thing, he said that uh, we have been in contact with what we know as the greys since since I think I've watched this like a million times since man was a simian creature, these they've, they've interacted with our evolution 63 or 65 times and they've made genetic modifications so that we can, I guess, survive better because, and I don't know what the goal is. He goes, I just, he goes, I know like, that's what I know from working at area S four is that there are, but it's just weird. Cause there's these sort of like, they, it crosses like references and like eras of humanity. It's kind of the same story, right? Yeah, um, the planet, by the way, was called Nibiru. Yeah, Nibiru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes them 3,600 years to go around in an orbit. The problem that it poses for Earth, actually, is every 3,000 years, it, it, whenever it comes next to us, it imposes this heavy gravitational magnetic yeah. um, um, force, which causes devastation. And then they say the last one that happened and that we know of is, was the flood. Mm-hmm different so that's one argument the other argument is that aliens actually destroyed the earth because we were um we were destroying the planet and we needed to take better care of it and so they wiped out humans and and did it again well Um, we know for a fact i remember this from evolutionary biology and uh at uga was that yeah there's the bottleneck event and they're not sure if it was a volcano or if it was something else but yeah they know at one point on they know at one point in our history humanity got down to about ten thousand people and they said everyone was wiped out but that. What? It wasn't just Noah and his family. Might have been. I don't know. But it's like, isn't, but I mean, that's another thing, right? Is like. Southern Baptist. So that's what, that's how I came to learn about the flood. I don't know how many people that are watching were religious at all, but um, it's been interesting going through this whole process. Side note, been interesting going through this whole process. And I was, I was kind of raised to believe that if you believed in aliens, it was anti-biblical. And I've come to realize that that's absolutely not the case, that they actually mesh together very well, which is why I'm so outspoken mm-hmm. and such a proponent about that and having people watch and acknowledge and trying to introduce them to this because because <laughs> I know, hopefully everyone watches yeah. it. And if not, this is like the fifth time I've said it. <laughs> unacknowledged, unacknowledged by Stephen Greer. Go watch it. <laughs> It'll it'll blow your brains out of your head like Kurt Cobain. It's insane. Yeah, but uh, Zechariah Sitchin, mm-hmm. he actually translated the Sumerian tablets and wrote a, bro- a book called um, Earth, the Seventh Planet. Mm-hmm. And that's because, you know, we see it as a third planet from the sun, but the way that they orbited, if this story is true, then we are the seventh from the outside. And then another note is Maurice Chatelain was a NASA engineer and he actually is the one who made this fantastic discovery. There were so many numbers in these Sumerian tablets that were larger than anything we would ever use or need, way beyond our comprehension. And he found out that whenever he would take these numbers and put them, analyze them, and then he would divide by 60 
I don't know why 60. That If somebody is watching this and has the answer and can put it in comments, that would be so great um, and save me the trouble of having to look it up. But he divided by 60 and he found that there were they were the periods of the orbits of the planets and they were notated to the second. The Sumerians were notating to the second. Not the day, not the year, not the month, not the hour, to the second. And why would that be the case? Because they're communicating with other planets and there's interplanetary trade. They need to be able to calculate and plot trajectories and intersections and interceptions. And so he made that discovery in the 60s and it was like transformative. It's melting my head. But you, but what's, what's known for a fact is we know that the Sumerians, we know that they had an accurate model of the solar system millennia before we did, we being modern man. And right. that, like, that's and, not a conspiracy. That's like that's like in tablets and like engraved on like gold plates. That's history. That's, that's history. Yeah. So, you know, there could be this argument, and I don't want to upset anybody in the science industry, is that one reason that they're not getting this stuff out there and putting it as conspiracy is because, you know, science has become kind of the new world religion. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to admit to the fact that there are antecedent technologies that are far more advanced and things that yeah. beyond before our time and even now you know they're more advanced than anything we have today yeah. and you know for a long time there was this missing link that they would talk about and i i think that you know we are we are that missing link mm-hmm. well i was gonna say on uh, joe rogan he's had them on several times together over the past five years uh randall carlson and graham hancock who both say that they like explain what the flood was, and that's why they describe things like Gobekli Tepe, the procession of the equal, or sorry, the, yeah, procession of the equinoxes, where it's every like twenty six thousand and thirty six thousand five hundred years, like the change, like America or not America, the world changes, and it's and I think the way it wobbles. Uh, Randall Carlson explains that an asteroid hit the, uh, I guess the North Pole and instantly melted the entire store of ice, which caused what we know as the flood, and there are all these like proxy like sediment deposits all over the world that you can find from it it's in what's like the one thing that permeates all religion all religion everyone wants to slaughter each other from the dawn of time but what's the the one thing we can all agree on not the number of gods not what humanity is here for what's the one thing we can all agree on there was a big old flood right even even gilgamesh it's like hey there was a flood right everyone's just signing off i mean muslims and christians both sign off on there was a flood can we find some middle ground but i mean that's a weird thing where those two they don't have any they're not what? yeah but as i'm saying it's like randall carlson and and graham hancock they don't there's no they're not like you and i sitting here yelling about aliens right or you're speaking in a moderate tone i'm yelling about aliens but like this is becoming this thing though that it's like <laughs> these are some of the most viewed viewed episodes on joe rogan and it's becoming this bigger and th- bigger thing and graham hancock was pushing what and they're they're pushing any episodes relating to to aliens and UFOs. I have no idea why, but oh, yeah. if you have anything having to do with aliens, yeah, uh, YouTube is is well now he's not on YouTube, so I don't know how Spotify is going to handle that. Yeah, but, I don't know either. But I mean, it's, it's but they're pushing a narrative. Yeah, and the question is why. And I think we have more stuff to talk about before we get to that that point. But something good to keep in the back of your mind as we progress. I mean, the whole thing is just insanity. It's, it's, I don't know, it just, and it's, the thing is, is it's the perfect, it's the perfect, I guess, thing to keep secret, because it, I think as Bob Lazar said about uh, UFOs at Area S4, 
He said, because you don't have to try to keep it secret. It keeps itself secret, right? Well, it, well, a lot of it is under the water, too, well, like well, right now. What I mean is, like, cognitively, it keeps itself oh, secret I- because... Okay, we have like a stealth bomber or developing the nuclear bomb and the Manhattan Project and enriched uranium. People are trying to pry into that. What is that? Oh, a big bomb, world war. They can put the pieces together pretty quickly. But when it's something like, hey, human civilization might have gone through several waves of development and then being suppressed by some godlike power. And there's actually a city under Antarctica and we're in contact and the Egyptians were in contact with aliens on Mars. It hides itself because you just got to say it like I am right now. And there's a lot of people listening or watching going, I might unsubscribe from this psychopath. It hides itself. (laughs) No, that's what they're thinking. And good. I hope they leave. But like, that's the point, though, is like it it hides itself. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, no, I mean, it it totally makes sense. I'm kind of stuck on the fact that everything is under the water, which makes it easier to yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, because no one's still willing to admit it. Yeah. Nobody. No yeah. one is willing to admit it. Yeah. That guy came out from Israel. That oh, yeah. I'm actually not sure why he decided to come out now. And other than the fact that he has a book coming out, I don't know if you have any insight on what you think about that. That I honestly interesting timing. Interesting, time. interesting timing. Weird. I mean, 2020. Kind of everything's off the. You know, everything's up in the air. But like the chips are down. It's just all weird. But it's, it's also weird because Captain or Commander Fravor, who is on Joe Rogan, that Navy uh, commander who is is held in such high regard that he and his, I guess, squadron of fighter jets, they were tasked with flying above the L.A. airspace on September 11th. So this is again, this isn't some this isn't some moron. He's the one that chased the UFO off the USS Nimitz, which is declassified and, and acknowledged by the Pentagon. Right. East Coast, West Coast. They have the go fast, the gimbal and then the Tic Tac. Those are three separate ufos that have been confirmed and talked about by these high military officials <laughs> but what did commander fravor say that's kind of a lesser known thing is he talks about how he knows stories from other reputable guys but there's no video of it of usos un- or uh unidentifiable submerged objects that he said are massive he said they'd come right up and then go back down so that is actually the way that we would go into these. I can feel better now. I, I gotta. Whenever we would go into these bases under the ice in Antarctica, we would get there primarily through submarines. Yeah. And what's interesting is this U, uh, U.S. Navy SEAL. Um, he said that whenever you would come up through the submarine, the landing dock was like a standard submarine landing dock, except for zero decompression required. Zero. You literally can just get out. You can just get land it, dock it, get out, zero decompression required. Hmm. And it's negative 40 degrees outside. You get into this structure and we should talk about the physical structures because there's multiples of them. Um, But he gave insight into what he saw and the one that he visited, but it goes from like negative 40 degrees outside to immediately like 68 to 72 degrees inside, but there's no power source or heat source, um, no generators, no wiring anywhere. The lights are in the walls, but there is no wiring or outlets or anything anywhere. Um, The ceilings are like 23 to 28 foot tall. He said it took him 15 minutes to walk from one side of the room to the other. Um, I mean, it's, it's significantly, it's locked. It's all under the ice. Well, that's, that's another thing Bob Lazar said. He goes, uh, 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 
at Area S4, he's like, one of the odd things was, he goes, is the light. He goes, there's no light source. You can't put your hand up and see a shadow. He goes, there's just, there's just light. But he was like, that wasn't on the forefront of my mind because I was looking at a flying saucer. And he was like, so I was like, I'll tackle the light. I'll tackle the LEDs later. He's like, there is a, a craft from Zeta Reticuli. And there's a guy with an M16 pointing at my head. He was like, I'll, okay, I'll worry about the dimmers later. I have to go to the bathroom real quick. So, Bethany, hold it down. I'm, I'm tasking you. I'm not pausing this. I'm tasking you with uh, okay. with uh, with monologuing. All right, sounds good. Um, Tell them where to find the vid, the Linda Moulton Howe video. Or I guess I can just link it. Yeah, definitely just go check out earthfiles.com, her YouTube channel. Um, Tommy will put that down in the description. She um, She's really, really great. She's been involved for a number of years. Her primary method of getting information, um, other than her own personal research, has been through whistleblowers. And that is going to be the way of the future. Um, pe- you know, Citizen journalism, people who are currently inside of all these organizations that are keeping these secrets, uh, it's going to require whistleblowers to come out and and talk about the truth and humans deserve to know the truth. And the last time I was on the podcast with Tommy, we talked about um, uh, unacknowledged and we talked about why is the government hiding the fact that aliens exist. And, you know, I made the statement and I stand by it. You know, humans can handle the fact that aliens exist. It actually would be better for all of our lives. If we, if everyone knew um, it would eliminate a lot of, it would eliminate a lot of illnesses. It would help us in terms of our, our crops. It would, I mean, it would just, it would do us a whole world of good. Um, and the public deserves to know, you know, the, the worst part about all of this is that, you know, we have a government who is secretly communicating with, and this isn't just our government. I mean, there's a whole, um, uh, consortium of, of countries that are in this together. And, but our government is secretly doing all of this activity, communicating and benefiting from whatever is happening down there in Antarctica and around the world. And then they're not communicating that with the public. And then they're also holding and and penalizing journalists who are coming out, who are supposed to be protected by the First Amendment of the United States Constitution um, and and what they have to say about it. So I was just talking to your people. My peeps? What? (laughs) My people, I'm also a follower and I watch literally probably all of your podcast episodes because i love your podcast Um, yeah you're welcome but um we're just talking about how aliens you know i was saying that last time i was on your podcast we talked about aliens and you know i said and i still stand by the fact that humans can handle it if they were just to know yeah we can can handle it it's 100 percent. but as we've talked about and through unacknowledged is has nothing to do that's a straw man argument by the powers that be humans can't handle it they'll jump They'll jump out of the buildings. They can't, you know, the the, the, the Bible. Is, no, it's because what it is, is is a revolution in power source. And if you don't have a petrodollar, you can't control the world like you do, which is what these power-hungry psychopaths feed on. That's what it is. Is it's Yeah, no, you're you're actually super right about that. And it all comes back down to that Antarctic Treaty um, where there were 12 countries that were involved and they all agreed that they would follow the same that is that fascinates me to no end yeah. how we go at war with each other and we kill so many lives over nothing 
but then the one thing that could propel us into the future, into multiple universes. I mean, the Hubble telescope actually was able to take photos of three different universes, ours, and then two others. And there's life in all of those. Yeah. In all of them. Yeah. So we have the ability to transcend Earth or, you know, people who are big into um, climate change or global warming and the Earth is dying and we're destroying it. Help us get off of this planet. Yeah. <laughs> There are other planets out there yeah. and our governments, these 12, but now there's 54 countries who are involved in this treaty. I mean, this is a whole effort of upper echelon people. And it happens a lot in DC of, you know, people who just want to hold on to that power because it helps them mm-hmm. instead of helping the rest of the population. And it's going to get to a point, And this is something that's interesting. And I love your take on it. You know, earth is, apparently in trouble you know Stephen Hawking a few years ago one of his last public videos or statements that he made was that humans need to try to get off the earth as Mm -hmm. soon as possible Mm -hmm. this former U.S. Navy SEAL um, on his whistleblower interview talked about how we need to get off this planet as soon as possible and there are actually there are actually uh, stations all around the world of these huge massive um, shuttles or ships rocket ships and he didn't know if it was for people or if it was for things you know and training but they're all over the world and they are prepared and and ready to deploy into space holding massive amounts of people and or equipment and so what are we preparing for (laughs) this could go into revelations right we were talking about revelations the other day but like but the upper, the, my point is the upper echelon is hiding this for their own gains and they're not acknowledging it to the public. I don't think it's because they don't think that we can handle it. I think it's because they've kept it a secret for so long. They've had that power for so long. What would benefit them to, to give it up? But it's going to get to a point. And now I'm circling back to whenever you left me to do my own like monologuing. Um, citizen journalism is the way of the future. Whistleblowers are the way of the future. You're not going to keep it a secret for much longer because there are people around the world, not just in our government, but in other governments who understand what's at stake here and they are going to come forward and it's going to, I mean, they're going to have to be really brave to do it, but they're going to do it. And we're going to find out one way or another in an official sense. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No. Yes. Join the, join, join the dark side and let the rants flow. (laughs) But it's, I like Tim Dillon's take on it. And he's like the comedian, Tim Dillon, who I think is the funniest person to ever walk the planet, current human civilization and last. What? He is the funniest human on the planet, but um, he, and he loves conspiracies. He loves them I, probably. Sometimes he's awesome. But what he said, he's like, he's like, this is how I look at it. He's like, you got to give the people health care so that you can continue to treat them like crap. And he's like, because if you try to give them like a non living wage and no health care, they revolt. He goes, you got to be smart about it. You give them just enough that they keep working. And he's like. He goes, otherwise, he goes, that's why you have people starting to flip out and soon they're going to start killing politicians. He's like, because you haven't given them enough. He's like, be smart. Just give them some penicillin in a one bedroom apartment and then they'll stop attacking you. But I kind of look at the same as like whistleblowers. You get to a point where enough people are like, dog, I got nothing going for me. And I saw a politician doing X, Y, or Z. They're like, screw it. I don't think it has to do with that, though. Maybe for some people. But I think that most whistleblowers are brave patriots Mm -hmm. who are so enraged that their government in any country that their government is keeping whatever it is from the public 
That's true. You know, I mean, even though the argument is that we may have been created as slaves to the alien race, <laughs> we're not slaves to our government. Our government is supposed to be working for us. Yeah. We owe it to the people to communicate and, and discuss what's happening so that way we can all benefit from it. That's true. And we have the ability to totally transform this planet That's... and our world and our societies. Yeah. I guess followers are doing it. Some of them could be doing it for selfish gains, but for the most part, a lot of them their lives are threatened. They lose their job as soon as they come out. They lose their benefits. Marriages are destroyed. Families are destroyed. Um, you know, working with whistleblowers sometimes it's I've I've seen that firsthand, mm-hmm. and that's a whole new appreciation for it. So I'm going to respectfully disagree with you there. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say I I, I realized I was kind of I was wrong as I was saying it. Ed Snowden was making six figures living in Hawaii with a smoking hot girlfriend, and then he got hunted down. Now he is just like God is looking out for him because he is in Russia and his girlfriend went and joined him a couple of years ago and now they're married. He, and then he goes the fact that our government was literally watching us on every single device known to man and they're still doing it. Yeah. Him posting it doesn't change the fact that yeah. they're not doing it. Yeah. That's like that's <laughs> Yeah. That's like blowing the whistle on nuclear weapons and be like, ah, I guess we got them. They're not going to stop making them. <laughs> like it's just like, oh, I guess now you know. And that goes back, actually, I don't know why I keep going back to these bases under the water, but there are military bases under the water. You know, the 70% of our Earth is water. We've only explored 5% of that. That drives me nuts. Oh. Why aren't we in our water? We're talking about space, and I love space. Obviously, I'm obsessed with it. But, like, why are there people like me who are obsessed with the ocean that are, like, trying to push people to go explore the oceans? But we have bases, all countries do, and they're actually doing missile testing. Um, they have missile bases down under the ocean as well. And then the argument goes back to they're also are probably alien bases. And that's why you see so many UFOs come in and out of the water. Now there is actually a lot of activity with UFOs in lakes, but they're probably just charging their ships or something like that or resting or doing something of that nature. Um, But in the main bodies of of water, there are bases under the ocean all over the place. And Puerto Rico actually has a huge um, number of UFO sightings every year. And I love Puerto Rico. Have you ever been to Puerto Rico? No. It's beautiful, and the people are so nice, and the food is so good. Um, but this guy who is one of the UFO um, like experts there, he actually was able to find anomalies based on NOAA maps of alien bases that he thinks are around Puerto Rico as well as around the entire rest of the planet. Um, so there are bases under this water. for <laughs> <laughs> going to Antarctica because it's a 35-year ban and you're not going, and there are places that we're, are prohibited to go on to, then maybe we just need to start scuba diving all the way down to the bottom. Well, well, I'm just going to say, yeah, we only know 5% of the, the bottom of the ocean, and it's right here. But, I mean, that's what, again, Commander Fravor said on Joe Rogan's podcast. They talked about how they were, like, lowering down a guy to pick up this, like, dummy training torpedo. They used to like shoot them down. They these big orange torpedoes. They'd use them for like target practice, and then they'd like lower a guy down from the helicopter, and he'd grab onto it and pull him back up. And he goes, "We were doing it one time," and he goes, "And we're looking at it from the like the guy like being lowered down can't see it, but we're high enough up. We start to see, and you can everyone listening look it up on YouTube. Look up the clip of uh, Fravor saying this to Rogan. He goes, "You can see this big dark mass start to appear under the water." And he goes, he goes. Uh, someone on the helicopter starts screaming, so the pilot starts like yanking up, and the the marine has no idea what's going on. He's like, "Why are you pulling me back up?" And he goes, and the torpedo didn't get pulled underwater or like co underwater. He goes, 
it's like if you like went up and like grabbed a like i don't know like a pool toy and then yanked it down as hard as you could he goes this thing was just yanked like big plume of water and then it just lowered back down and this is this is commander fravor like this you, you don't get like a higher up i guess like respect than that but it's also excuse me but it's also it seems like that's like the last place anyone would ever think right it's just kind of like the ocean it's just this what the heck is down there and that's oh, i don't know we have tunnels yeah. i mean there are spaces there are tunnels there are, there are whole transportation systems down there you know and the same exact idea that elon musk has about going to mars which by the way how much has he been read into the mg12 mj12 program mm-hmm. <laughs> that I love Elon because he just seems like he's sidestepping it. He's like, I don't need to be cleared into these like Illuminati groups. He's just like, I'm going to build my own rockets and go. Well, he gives me hope. You know, he talks about building the city on Mars for any entrepreneur to go into flourish. And so it'll be interesting to see who qualifies on getting onto Mars via his mechanisms compared to who the governments, the governments around the world have set aside. Because let's let's just assume something's going to happen horrible to the planet, whether that's an asteroid that hits us in 2029. Apophis, shout out Apophis, Friday, April 13th, 2029. Whether that's another alien race coming to destroy us, whether that's another alien race coming to destroy us because we've not taken care of of the planet well enough. Let's say that either way, we're not making it. we got to get off this earth as, as much as possible. Who's getting on these stations that are all around the world that are ready to go up into space? Because, you know, it's probably not going to be me and you. No, no, it's not. No, it's again what Tim Dillon said. He goes, just get used to it, people. He goes, the rich are going to flee the planet. He goes, I think around 2035, 2040, we're at the end. Just enjoy it. He goes, one day you're going to see these magnificent craft leave out of the sky. And that's going to be them. And we're going to be really interested. He goes, we're just going to try to continue on with our race. You know, their goal is going to be to help continue on the human race. Um, And then also help continue on the race of the humanoids that seeded us and so who who are the most ideal candidates it's almost very similar to it's not like hitler necessarily with the whole aryan vibe but it's like is that is that going to help or is that going to be a component of who qualifies not necessarily your race and your hair color but i wonder how they're going to calculate who or is it about the money you have is it because on the Titanic, those who were wealthiest yeah. got on the ships first, or women and children. You know, it'll just be interesting to see how they go about that process. Well, I think the future is Ray Kurzweil said it. Ray Kurzweil was a science advisor to, I think, Reagan, Bush one, and Clinton, and maybe Bush two. And uh, Ray Kurzweil said, K U R Z W E I L, author of the, the Singularity is Near. And um, yeah, but. He he said that he thinks that the the uber elite, not the one percent, you know, Bernie Sanders, the one percent of the one percent. He said the very tippy top, like the top five hundred families in the world. He goes, he thinks that they are turning into a new species because what it is is not good healthcare. It's perfect healthcare. It's stem cell treatments when you're eighteen, just to make sure nothing decays. It's zero stress. There's zero cortisol release because you never have to worry about anything. He goes. He thinks that they are, in a biological sense, going to turn into a new species, and then not only that, they will be physically augmented through artificial retinas, all these implants, Neuralink, and eventually they will be the ones that can leave the planet, and thus they will become like. Homo Solaris or like Homo Cosmosis, but it's basically like spacefaring Homo sapiens. 
but it's very much no it's not it's not down your eye color and your skin color, which if it was i would be fine i'm i'm white with blue eyes i'm i'm solid but like i have blue eyes okay well you can come too but like <laughs> it's it's but it is kind of a thing though right it is it it is in a sense it is it is a sort of natural selection of and i'm not saying it's right but just like it's not there's nothing right about one saber-toothed tiger living out uh living over another subspecies because they killed them all but that is what is happening i think that's what we're seeing now is a form of natural selection or darwinian evolution and it sucks because i'm not going to make it you're not going to make it but it does seem that that's who's kind of going is that upper that upper crust the centibillionaires bezos gates musk I don't know where well, we're going with that. I've got like five different thoughts going through my head about right. how I'm doing this. Good, spit them all out. Well, one, it's like that would actually lend credit to diseases that just pop up all of a sudden and kill off a portion of the <laughs> population, <laughs> help weed out the weak, I guess. You know, and no one is COVID nineteen. <laughs> what I said, COVID nineteen. Maybe, maybe not. A hundred percent. Wuhan bioweapons lab. Harvard scientists making massive donations, or sorry, Harvard scientists going there for $10 million money money wires. But let's not look into that. It also, another thought process is like, wow, this can totally go into the whole idea of the Great Reset. Yeah. And how they're trying to tie in um, biotechnology and how they're trying to not only transform certain aspects of our lives, but a lot of other aspects of our lives. I would encourage everybody watching this to go check into the Great Reset. Um, which they're trying to push right now due to COVID-19 and we should not be trying to push that it's not a good idea it's it's a terrible (laughs) idea and it's not a conspiracy it's what's talked about the world economic forum the great reset right and the videos I made the video I made you watch he actually goes through um Spyro and we talked about this in the last episode and so we need to link his video down there in your description so people can go watch it it's a 20 minute video but he uses their their words advertisements and marketing to break it down and he's like they're hiding this in plain sight people yeah. and it's so obvious when you watch it yeah when you it's, watch it it's, it's so, so cr- and it's so creepy and that's the thing is i don't think so they're doing this yeah so and the thing is i don't think they're doing this because covid19 think i think that that was part of the plan yeah this is already a part of the it, plan. it happens in tandem it's like you don't you know it's like the idea of 9-11 well they were able to pass the patriot act i'm like that Sounds an awful lot like Operation Northwoods. Yeah, that's true. There's debate, though, about whether COVID was planned in a lab and released on purpose or if it happened naturally or through an accident. So that's that's kind of what I was at the, posing the question. At the Wuhan Biolab. Just a coincidence. It'd be like if a, that'd be like if a, if a world-altering pandemic, not – this isn't H1N1. Nothing has happened like this since 1918. That'd be like if this happened – and it started in the hotel and I know or in the apartment block and I know this because I used to drive by there going to middle school it would be like this if this if this happened at the apartment blocks that are across the street from the CDC drove by them every day for 4 years that'd be like wow what a coincidence huh <laughs> and be like and it'd be like yeah and not only that imagine if only America if America was benefiting the most everyone would be like huh that's a real head scratcher what do you know I guess Epstein committed suicide. What do you know? It's one of those things where it's like the answer is just staring you in the face. And that's what Terrence McKenna said. The, the, the problem isn't finding the answer. It's facing the answer. 
It's staring you in the face. And it's like, we have these people at the World Economic Forum. You look at it right now. Every mom and pop store is closed. But then you can go look at Costco, Walmart. Everyone's milling around. What is this? This is this is raising the level of the water in the pool so that everyone under six feet drowns. This is what it is, is they're wiping out all these things. So it's, what is that? A consolidation of power. Just like the consolidation of media or the consolidation of internet providers, it's all one thing. Why? Because it's a lot easier to control a couple things at the very top. And what is the point of doing all that? It's the same thing as saying, well, we can't limit free speech, but we can shadow ban you. Well, if everything moves to just a couple of massive corporations that provide all goods and services, well, then what you can do is implement the, I don't know, the CCP social credit score. You can't buy there. You don't have, Mr. Kerrigan, you don't have enough credit. You said some hateful things on that podcast last week. <sighs> Sorry, I have my Alex Jones shirt on. I'm getting all hype. It's <laughs> no, I mean, it, no, you're totally right, though. It, it makes sense, and it's a slippery slope. And I think our our founding fathers had it right when you know it's liberty or or security and safety. Yeah, and not both. but this is so, but, but this is something that transcends even America. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm so passionate about getting this information out there. Yeah. And I want to go to Antarctica so bad. <laughs> we should go and we'll probably never be heard from again. But we'll I think live, we'll live stream it. We'll live, hold on, Alex Jones was searching Flat Earth, refining what it was the movie he wanted to make with Eddie Bravo. You know, I was talking about, we'll go down there, Rogan, you'll go down there. Well, I've got the uh, enough with the money. I've got the money. You go down there. There's gonna be cats knocking things off. Whoa, whoa. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Choke me out. That was a good episode. I'm glad you sent it to me. It was very yeah. long though. It was like four hours. It is. And for everyone watching, I have a sweatshirt on of Alex Jones, and the rant is actually from that episode. Well, from both episodes, nine eleven and that one. I think twelve fifty five. I don't know why I'm acting like I don't know. That's not why listening to you instead you should can you read any of it or no well, well it's dark over there no one even watching it can read it either well well whatever sucks to suck but uh yeah it's you're kind of like the uh the black side over there and i'm kind of like the white side in my very well lit well, this podcast, it's all about duality. We're talking about good and evil. We're talking about the light and the darkness, right? It's structures. We haven't gotten to that yet. I was about to say, I was about to say, well, you're going to be really mad. I have to, I have to pee again. Again, because Bethany has a, a terrible bladder, apparently, and I j always have to accommodate for her. But we are getting on to alien structures, which we've been dodging back and forth. So let's finally address it. I know. I don't know why you just don't want to get into this because, because I, try to I work for NASA and I have to be part of the cover up. Why can you not read Morse code? I'm blinking and I'm telling you I'm in danger. But I guess the gig's up. Guess the gig's I up. You both are missing in the next uh, few days or weeks. Hopefully your followers will oh, uh, come find This episode will never be uploaded. This is it. And they're coming for you next. That's why they have me still talking to you. But so. Under okay. Okay, underground structures, Antarctica. Take it away. Yeah. So this is based on what the former U.S. Navy SEAL, um, and he was a Navy SEAL from 1987 through, I think, 2004. But he got there through, the first time, through an aircraft carrier. Um, they had, like, Nighthawk helicopters that went down. Mm -hmm. It was 50 feet under, under the ice whenever you first get there. You see an octagon inside of another octagon inside of another octagon, and it goes down deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's about one and a half to two miles under the ice. And um, 
it's you get there and you have a door and the door is huge uh black and very heavy he said that it was about 18 feet thick to 30 feet thick but i think he eventually said it was like closer to the 18 feet thick there were no standard hinges on it nothing you would see on any doors that you would see that we have or any other countries have for that matter um one on the top and one on the bottom and even though it was so heavy i mean this is like super heavy material it's made out of you could push it with one finger and it would immediately slide open and it slides open and then you're looking at nine acres in front of you of room and it's lit from the walls from the floor to the ceiling but again they can find no light source no switches no outlets no wires anywhere i mean he was walking up and down the walls trying to figure this out um and it was green it was a lime green color of light and whenever so the ceilings were 22 to 28 feet tall the walls were lined with hieroglyphics that were not Egyptian and they were not Mayan, but they were similar in style, but not the same. Um, and then it took him 15 minutes to walk from one side of the room to the other. And then in the back, it looks like the wall ends, but then when you get to the back wall, it's a ramp and the ramp goes down into two other rooms. The doors are all shaped in, in octagon shapes and they all have also multiple acres um, in that room. And <clears throat> he said that it was a visual trick to the eye. And that on the top right of the door, there was a pyramid structure that looked to be what he said, a starting point. Um, or it could be like a point on a map, um, a star map. If anybody's looked in your audience, he's looking to star maps. The way that that is, um, I wish you could show photos like while we're doing this so people could like look at what I'm talking about. But essentially it just layers out, you know, the different universes that the Hubble telescope was able to capture. And it always starts, the starting point is always in the Milky Way. It's always our universe first, which is interesting. And why do you think that is? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, for me, at first guess, I would say probably like anthropomorphic principle, right? We think that the sun rotates around us, and then we thought we were the only galaxy, and then we found other, quote, island universes, which turned out to be galaxies. I would say probably just the human mind. That's my, I mean, that's my two cents is probably. Yeah, but think about it. Like, if other aliens are coming from other universes, I, I don't know how to answer, actually. I don't uh, have an answer for this. It's yeah. just something that I it's like, I wonder why it would be center of the... Yeah. The is, or maybe go to another universe, and then their things on the top right of their doors, and their alien structures on their planets, or the universe that they're currently in. Yeah. So wait, who's, whose star maps are? Are they ours or theirs? If it's theirs, and we're the center, that's odd. If it's ours, oh. and we're the center... Oh. Okay. Well, okay, that's... that's yeah. Go in and communicate and do um, interplanetary trading with okay. aliens. Antarctica. Well, again, uh, that's what Bob Lazar said about. He said the third level of the flying saucer he was in. He goes, it had like, yeah, it had this like map, like a translucent map, but he wasn't cleared to work on that. Sorry, go on. No, uh, yeah. So we can, and I want to circle back to that really quick. I just want to talk about the type of humanoid that supposedly seated us. Um, they look like humans, and they have 
skulls like humans, some larger, some smaller. Um, they don't have hair, but they look human. Just a little bit odd. Another side note, I don't necessarily believe in lizard people per se, <laughs> but if we wanted to get into, you know, our aliens currently existing among us and people that kind of have different structures or famous people that look different over time, you see all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, well, it would be a plausible theory. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's David Icke's theory, right? What? That's David Icke's theory. What's his theory? His theory is that the reason why earth is always war-torn and there's like artificial famine and resource scarcity is because because there are a group of lizards from here from draco the star system and that they feed off of our negative energy that's his theory that's not what i believe but but that's his but yeah that's he's been pushing that for a while but you said about humanoid looking like humans i don't think that's odd at all i don't think they look like humans i think we probably look like them well, yeah, exactly right. We do. We yeah. do look like it's not that they look like us. They're far more superior in strength. Um, their mental capacity is far more superior, and strategically, they are far more superior. The way that they're able to calculate the long ball game, yeah, uh, and how to go about it, yeah, which is the biggest argument against you know why would we? Because people when I talk about aliens, they're like aliens existed. Why would they just destroy all of? mankind and come and just take over the planet i'm like because they create <laughs> yeah they they don't want to destroy it they created it right like they they helped make the earth what it is and they they want to um continue with in their own race and keep using the minerals here on this planet but regardless um, that's just another tangent sorry um side note <laughs> but also on in these alien buildings that are all over the place. We can talk about where they are um, in a minute. But there's a black sun that is on the doors of all of the on all of the doors in this structure in Antarctica that this uh, U.S. naval officer went to, um, and it resembles it's a twelve arm symbol. And it totally goes back to Hitler and what we were talking about earlier with the swastika. And I said, we are going to have to come back to this later on in the episode. Um, because the, well, so the first swastika I told you earlier was in Iran, mm -hmm. Iraq. It was on the bottom of a bowl in Iraq at 5,000 BC. It was painted on the bottom, um, the bottom of a bowl. But if you look throughout history, they had um, the black sun where it was like shining. It, it meant that it was something that was shining inside of us. And they had them on Babylonian tablets. They had in the Indus River. So in Aryabhata, the, the first people to consider themselves um, Aryan, um, they actually had sun wheels that were four, six, and eight rays extending out. And that was kind of to calculate. Um, the periods in the ninth century BC, um, they were on the, the Babylonian tablets. And then on one of them, they told a story on his Babylonian tablets and I actually took a photo of the quote and it was white sun beaming above the world earth. You get the light of day. 
black sun shining inside us, you give the power of knowledge reflecting the kingdom of Atland, which was high at the pillar of heaven before the sea rage devoured it. And if you look up the kingdom of Atland, that's what Plato talked about as being Atlantis. Oh. Atlanta is a circular city that um, was technologically more advanced than anywhere else. Yeah. It was all of a sudden destroyed. Uh, if you look into it, um, it would probably be, an, it could have been a full city um, inhabited by extraterrestrials. And then it also could have been taken down by extraterrestrials um, that were at war, either with those aliens or um, with the planet. And so then you also find in 1550 to 1000 BC, there were some wheels found in Switzerland and they had 12 rays that extended out, which stood for the passage of, of the sun around the same time in Germany, they had uh, sun wheels that had five to seven arms and they actually found them buried. A lot of them were found buried in women's graves. Um, and it was, it stood for the primal feminine energy that gives, that they give uh, birth to eternal life. And um, the Celts of Western Europe, they, they had sun wheels that symbolized the energy of the universe. And so between 1936 and 1942, um, Hitler and his guy, Heinrich Himmler, they had a 12 arm sun and they recreated it and had an inlaid in green and they had it in buildings. And it was uh, the, uh, the rays had nine, 290 degree angles. And at the end of each arm, um, and that to them represented their brutal SS security squads. Oh. And SS, their 290 degree angles, they called them lightning. Yeah. And yeah, and so that links, you know, SS with nature to Hitler and his obsession to expand the area and dominance on Earth. And so then you get to the point in the 19th century when the writer um, Arthur uh, de Gobina, I can't say French anything, but um, the one who wrote about the inequality of the human race, which made the Aryan race uh, a political ideology. Um, and so then you look at how Iran, they had on their artwork, um, you know, all of these uh, uh, extraterrestrial things etched in their stone. And one example of that is in the uh, Persepolis stone, they had these ancient curly haired men that were linked to uh, superior uh, alien beings. Um, but back to Hitler really quick. So whenever he decided to take the swastika from that exact same thing, the, the sun, the black sun, but what he did is instead of where in the um, in India they had the swastika to symbolize the sun as pros uh, prosperity, they had it clockwise. They also had a counterclockwise sun wheel to symbolize night or um, the tantric um, aspects of, of sex and sexual intercourse. And so Hitler took these old um, positive swastikas and they colored it black and they flipped the arms and they had them painted in red, black, and white, which are, are colors that symbolize power and control. And so it's interesting this U.S. Naval officer saw the black sun painted on all the doors in the building in this one structure in Antarctica. And, you know, it's like how and where, when did the sun wheel um, kind of evolve from? And, you know, some people see it as a, the black sun as a cult of, uh, of Satanism. Some see it as a power, of, um, a semblance of power, of, of energy and, and universe. 
And so they also actually found that exact same thing in physics, where you have the 90 degree arrows representing electrons accelerated through space at the speed of light and radiating electromagnetic radiations in the shape of a sphere. Um, and it's depicted by 290 degree angles at the end of each arrow, similar to the 290 degree arrows in the black sun. And it's dipping in and out of the speed of light through portal holes and magnetic fields. And is that the key to traveling through universes? And that's kind of like where I want to segue into this. But before I do, Sumerian Sanskrit to Hitler to modern physics, um, I'm curious as to your thoughts about, you know, did Hitler have that in mind? Do you think that there's a connection there? And before I let you answer that, um, Nicholas Goodrick Clark, that was the author I was trying to think of earlier. He wrote a book called The Black Sun, Aryan Cults, Esoteric Nazism, and the Politics of Identity. And he quoted in that, Nazis had already prepared a secret refuge beneath the ice cap of Antarctica, possibly an alliance with Hyperboreans, described as new tall other intelligences who long ago as Aryans colonized under the Earth's surface. And so would the Black Sun be tied to Nazis and could it be considered evil? Um, I guess is the question. Well, I was going to say going back to... to that all that makes sense. I had to read a lot of that because it's just like so much information. Yes, well, but, I, was, I was thinking of the right angles I never thought about, but then yeah, I do remember from physics, it's isn't it, it's, it's electromagnetism going at right angles causes magnetism and then magnetism going at right angles causes flux, F-L-U-X. It's, it's just one thing I remember. But yeah, it's... I think of Admiral Byrd who said that he went he his words not mine went to a cavern in antarctica and was briefed by like these big like 10 feet tall like human humanoids his words not mine and you can go back and find the itinerary of his flight and it was indeed delayed three hours which is odd by multiple accounts of people who've encountered these humanoids yeah I do. I th- the black sun, and then how yeah. that the origination for what became swastika for Hitler, mm-hmm. and like where he is. Well, is that- yeah. Well, the swastika, right? Because it's it's mirrored. It's the 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 ancient one. Right. It goes the opposite direction, and for good things, it's like the evil side of that, it. That's what I mean. It's, it's it's inverted, right? And that's a common thing with Satanism, right? Is it's, it takes everything from the church and inverts it, right? It's it's all about inversion. Um, I know. I remember hearing who was it, Mike Barra, talk about the yeah the Reich of the Black Sun. That's where I've heard that word before. But also Justin Rowland's book, uh, Nazis and the Occult. Hitler was obsessed with the occult. The Honor and Urban Society was funded. Right. Was funded to plunder the world. I mean Indiana Jones stuff. But like, was really happening. Like Indiana Jones, isn't it? It is. But like, that's like the again hides itself is it so ludicrous you bring it up and it's like uh oh, definitely involved in all of this and trying to help them hide it so yeah but it right it's it's but it goes into like where it hides itself right because it's like you say this and so and it's, are you talking about indiana jones and it's like no the on a nervous society they actually did the, annie jacobson has a great book to try to throw you off the trail so that way you would say it's a conspiracy theory whenever people actually try to come out about it well it's good well i mean that's but yeah so- 
Well, I was going to say, I went to say this earlier about uh, Antarctica. It's one thing, um, one thing Graham Hancock always brings up, as well as Randall Carson, is the... Uh, I actually did a solo rant episode about this, but the Piri Reis, Piri Reis, P-I-R-I space R-E-I-S, the map, yeah, the map from 1513 that he said he copied from a map of antiquity, and that map was said to be copied, and this sort of copycat thing goes back to finally where it was like someone in ancient Egypt is like, I copied it from something of the furthest antiquity. No one knows the author of the origination. So no. Didn't that come out in the fifteen hundreds, though? But yeah, but no, the Pyre Rise map is fifteen thirteen. Yeah. And it was found. Antarctica in there, a little sliver of it. Well, it has Antarctica, but it has Antarctica, and it has its it has its coastline perfectly mapped. And there's two yeah. things that are of, of of importance here. And this is not a conspiracy. It is. There has not been no ice there, for something like sixteen thirty thousand years ago. This map is not from them. This is from wooden ships and exploring the world. This is 30 years before Columbus. Or our ability to see through the ice with sonar, we didn't get that until the British Britain Expeditionary Force of 1949 went down there and mapped it. Either or, this guy in 1513 either had radar technology or, equally as absurd, he somehow got this map from 15 to 30,000 years prior predating the pyramids by 5,000 years that they managed to map well, the the publicly accepted age of pyramids is what I'm getting at. So 15,000 years before Christ. And and then uh, who's his face? Some uh, Professor Hapgood looked at this in the 1960s who was at Dartmouth in New Hampshire shout out New Hampshire. But he was looking at he was looking at this Charles Hapgood and Charles Hapgood looking at the Pyrrhus map and realizing that even if even if let's say everything else before that is just hubbub, well, he got it from so and so that got it from so and so. To me, that's like a direct lineage to ancient peoples. But let's pretend none of that's true. Let's just take what we know: the fifteen thirteen map in the Library of Congress, which is there. Charles Hapgood wrote to Albert Einstein, and that's how Graham Hancock opens his book, Fingerprint of the Gods, and it's the response from Einstein. And Einstein says something along the lines of. Um, I get written with I get written by people with these ideas all the time because they kind of look at hey if they can get an endorsement from me then it must be valid and he was like needless to say they are all trash like the ideas are terrible and he's like this one has profound implications for the human race and the human history I have no idea how it works they wrote to the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Air Force got back to them and said there is no logical explanation for why this is so and it seems that we have a massive piece of human history missing so it's like. Antarctica has been off the rails in 1513. And in 1513, they were looking at this going, where did we get this? And it goes back to like ancient Egypt to where they were like, oh, yeah, no, we have no idea where this came. Isn't that what Aristotle said, that he was talking to like Egyptians? And they're like, we didn't build this. We found this. Like, Antarctica has been like the hub for tinfoil hats since like the wheel was the hot new product, right? <laughs> like, that was the Christmas buy. What, what? It was like made for me. I know it's it's Antarctica is it is my spirit. It is, but it's. I mean, what what other better perfect place you can go and get Antarctica on your weather app for your iPhone? You can go down and get the uh, like the bases they have, and uh, yeah, no. But what better place to hide everything than somewhere where it's a ne- negative one hundred and thirty degrees Fahrenheit, right? Right, and it's interesting because it won't be that way forever because of uh, climate change, and yeah. so it's going to. It, 
I, I'm thinking that maybe that is why we're starting to see more information about aliens and about this technology and about our communication with them is because a and, private, they're not going to be able to hide it if yeah. the ice structures are uncovered. Yeah. Um, in Egypt, where they also have alien structures that were, were covered up, I mean, there are pyramids under the sand. And this U.S. naval officer, um, this whistleblower, he actually went to Egypt um, to extract an archaeologist who was in Iran. He escaped, and he made it into uh, to Cairo. And this professor was the one who told him that the Sphinx, which we think is like 14,000 years or 15,000 years, is actually 35,000 years old. Yeah. Um, and the same archaeologist now works for the coalition. And the coalition are the people who are involved in the Antarctic Treaty. And on the U.S. government side, it's curious to, to I'm surprised you haven't asked me about, or we haven't talked about, you know, like where, um, who's funding it? And who's working on it? Who's going down in Antarctica? Other than the fact that Lockheed Martin and all these other aerospace um, companies are moving down to Antarctica, and they're still doing that. That's happening like right now. Um, before we get into that, one side story. I mentioned New Hampshire, and that made me think about that. Um, the the um, uh, who was that lady that was the very first famous alien abduction um, in the early. Hold on, I'm gonna find this. I have it written in my notebook somewhere. Uh, Betty or Billy? Oh, Betty and Barney Hill. The abduction that happened in uh, September of 1961. So she was, her and her husband were abducted, abducted for one day, and she ended up going through hypnosis later on in life. And whenever she was under hypnosis, she drew the exact same star map that is on these walls in this alien structure that this U.S. Um, Navy SEAL officer saw <laughs> Antarctica, and it is the same exact thing. And it's all the trade routes she drew out, all the trade routes, and all the different planets and, and some of the stars. Um, so interplanetary trade has been happening for a long time. And also, you know, do you remember when um, uh, Al Muamua happened? The, a few years ago? That long, skinny asteroid. Yeah, and yeah. so it's not an asteroid. No, yeah, that's for the. You're like, and that is another piece of evidence that we've been having interplanetary trade. For, I mean, it's interplanetary trade, and yeah. so, so, the uh, Navy SEAL guy and the former U.S. Marine, um, they both admitted that their men were on this ship. I mean, it it kind of makes you think of like, you know, how they find ghost ships in the ocean that just uh-huh. like they were abandoned ship for whatever reason and they're just kind of floating around but they get stuck in these currents and like the ocean kind of just it just kind of brings them around almost like a like an airport like train like no one's actually driving it that kind of makes me think of that as like here's this ship and it's just on this calculated trajectory and it's just like no but that's what i mean it's like for like interstellar trade that's what i mean yeah. it's like it's it's like a big cargo ship and it's just there's no one on it, but we're looking at it like, oh, it's an asteroid. But it's like, no, this thing is just buzzing by on its like pre-scheduled route. No, see, I think it was it was planned already. I mean, it was something that was planned to happen well, that, because we're lots of communication with aliens every single day. Yeah. Um, the people who are doing this are the the U.S. cyber command, and you think cyber command? Like, what's that about? <laughs> hold on, but they, 
Hold on. We're talking about fun because Bethany has a terrible bladder. She keeps going to the bathroom, but it's a. Uh, um, but we're talking about funding. How is this all getting funded? And right, I mean, you can't help but think about. We're also nineteen trillion dollars in debt. Where's that debt really going? Because how else would you fund all this stuff? Yeah, and so it's by the uh, Cyber Command, and you would think like Cyber Command, don't they deal with you know technological stuff? And really, they became kind of the core uh, communications agency um, between us and, and aliens. And this naval officer had a friend who who worked for the NSA and then became the director of one of the departments for um, the cyber command. And um, all of the military forces are involved in it. I'm curious about Space Force and like what their involvement is or if it's totally separate. Probably not totally separate, but it could be. But yeah, no one really knows. Actually, last time I looked it up, which was a little bit ago, but um, the eighth floor of the NSA, there really wasn't a lot of information out there. I'm sure one of your viewers can like look it up and see and then let us know about it. Um, but that's who that's who's running it. And the eighth floor of the NSA building at Fort Meade. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say about Space Force, that makes me think of the NRO, the National Reconnaissance Office, and the NSA, the uh, National Security Agency, which was once known as no such agency, because these things operated for 30 plus years before anyone even knew they existed. Not what they did, before anyone knew they existed. I think Space Force, I don't think it's being created. I think it's being declassified. That's my two cents. Well, and I think that whenever Trump was elected to office, that once he was read into everything, everything, um, he realized kind of the situation that we're in. And I think our situation is a little bit more critical than we would like to, to think. We think that there's no sense of urgency here. And I don't even know what a timeline looks like unless we're hit by... Apophis, whatever number, Apoph- <laughs> 2029. But then also at the same time, you know, aliens have helped us in the past. Whenever in 2016 there was a threat of solar flare, do you remember when that happened? There was a threat of solar flare. No. Um, I think the aliens actually helped us in that in that time. Um, so there was an object that made a dent in one of Saturn's rings. Do you remember that? No. There were photos of it. No. So, Google it. Um, there, there. If you look up in 2016, a solar flare um, hazard that was going to um, destroy or, or damage significantly damage the Earth. All of a sudden, <laughs> this uh, object was making its way from the sun and made a dent in one of Saturn's rings. And I think that it was aliens trying to to help us in that sense. But Larry Larry Holcomb, the author I had on yesterday, author of Presidents. I have to talk to Larry. You're gonna you're gonna talk to Larry in January. Yeah, January. Um, but he talks about how this has been a thing happening at ICBM silos in the United States and the Soviet Union since like the '60s. Is that UFOs come down and tinker with them? And every time we start to get a little, you know, get a little too big for our britches, and we're like, we're gonna let a couple of these things fly off the rails said that's why there hasn't ever been nuclear war is that's like a common theme amongst like missileers he's like oh like they won't let us go to war it's like who do you mean who's they and it's like if, if, if the theory is correct and that, everything's 
right? Nothing is proven. But if the theory is correct that we were created yeah. or seeded by progenitors yeah. and last Earth was on Mars was destroyed by two hydrogen bombs. Yeah. So sense that we get more ufo sightings and they're like what's going on down here yeah. what are you guys thinking yeah i know from us and you're thinking like us but stop <laughs> yeah that's like that's like grabbing your like kid and your kid's like 12 and you find him with vodka and you're like you'll thank me when i'm older but you can't have this right now and it's like why well, i just want to have a couple drinks and it's like just pump the brakes bud like that's what it's kind of like is they're looking at us we're building these bigger and bigger nukes atomic to hydrogen uh nuclear to thermonuclear we're like we're gonna let these things pop off and they're like hey no but it's like yeah if they are if we are their creations if we are their petri dish they're gonna come down here and be like "Uh uh-uh like we're gonna remove these like everything else they're not gonna interact with right they're they're gonna let us kind of battle it out and learn good and evil on our own but when they see an, like a, like an example or I guess a possibility of us wiping ourselves out, come down and they'll be like, uh-uh, no, 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 take that away, right? It's like, yeah, that's what I think it is. It's like, yeah, why wouldn't it be? They're just going to like kind of not let us blow shit up. <laughs> Do we have anything else to talk about in terms of, you know, cyber command or because I'm done with that. Unless you have questions or you want to talk about something else. A I have a question. Okay. Are you familiar with Wilkes Land in Antarctica? No. So Wilkes Land is a place where there is a portal. And it's very similar to what they call a um, a moon pool in a submarine. Whenever you can open the door and water doesn't flood into the submarine and drown you. Sure. Um, the, the forest keeps the water down, but you're able to go in and out of the water for that moon pool. Um, it's actually very similar to, I'm sure you've seen Stargate. Actually, I haven't. What? I haven't. I know. What are you even doing with your life? <laughs> how, how have you made it this far? Um, well, okay, fine. You need to watch Stargate. You should prioritize that in your life. Um, put, it but on, put it on my they playlist. Have, they have a portal in Stargate, and it looks like it looks like water. Yeah. Um, but in real life, it's the exact same thing, except for it's not water, but it looks like water. It's square in shape instead of circular. And in Stargate, whenever you kind of go through the portal, you have like dust and stars kind of like shooting at you as you travel from one place to the other. In this, there you literally walk through and you're immediately at your destination. Yeah, instantaneous. It's not painful. Nothing happens to you. No, no experience. And so we have these all around the Earth. And um, the most popular, it, it gets you from point A to point B, essentially. Yeah, instantaneous. And so, like, if you go to Harp in Alaska, and you walk through the portal it immediately takes you to Pearl Harbor, right outside of Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. So where, where are you getting this from, though? Where's... So this is from the same U.S. Naval officer. Okay, okay. And the U.S. Marine. Okay. Um, so they both... Um, they both were privy to that information. This is all... Yeah, this is from Whistleblower, so okay. I don't have any photographic evidence. No, no, but... sure. No, I was... Yeah, no, I was... Because it, it makes me think of the whole idea of the DOD base on Mars that was supposedly constructed under the Eisenhower administration because they thought about there are like there are like if the world gets destroyed in a nuclear war we need like 
we need like three contingencies and one was like antarctica another was nuclear just nuclear bunkers which we have and the third was true national security is going to a different planet that's true security but he talked about but sorry this whole thing was tinfoil hat they go yeah that's how we got there they go it was just it was teleportation just walk through in and out Mm -hmm. and i definitely want to talk about mars and that yeah i definitely want to talk about that Um, because there's a lot to talk about there but well, not a lot, but there is a lot, there's stuff to talk about. Um, other places that there are portals that they were told about, um, South America, there are several, there's the one in Antarctica, Alberta, Canada, there are four in Argentina, three in Egypt, two in Australia, although they weren't sure about what parts of Australia. Um, and so, yeah, there, that's ways that aliens, humans, people in the military, people in uh, cyber command are able to travel from one area to the other very quickly um back to what you were saying about mars there is stuff happening on mars um outside of elon musk things that the the dod um cyber command things that they're that they're working on um the moon is the same thing so on the moon we have structures that are on the back side of the moon the dark side as well as on the interior of the moon i mean there's an actual it's a mothership mm-hmm. they're building there's a whole operation there um the former u.s marine guy um he claimed that there were 2500 humanoids living on the moon right now and that they're building tunnels they're building they're building things um to survive um and to train and to test and that they're doing the exact same thing on Mars. And so if you go back to this black sun and you go back to the uh, equivalency to the physics of time travel and how in physics with those uh, that black sun wheel, um, how you're able to, to travel to different dimensions, different universes, different timelines, um, the options are kind of endless, I think. Um, it's all related. It's all related to that whole idea. What I was going to say is, yeah, like um, another one, Joseph McMonagall is, I just wrote down several notes, but Joseph McMonagall, the same guy that, you know, the, the, I think William Casey, the head of the CIA said, this guy can see anything in the world. He said, uh, not, 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 uh, what is it? Not unit 8200. That's an Israeli, that's like the Israeli NSA, but it's called mm-hmm. uh, project 8200. And it's where this guy said, the head of the CIA's remote viewing program, said that, that there were four um, four bases around the world under mountains. And I remember Mount, Mount Perdido, Mount Hayes, Mount, I think Kilimanjaro was one of them. I don't remember the last one. But there are these bases underground, these subterranean bases that were ancient. And they're all broadcasting to a a space station in geosynchronous. And this is not, not my words, Joseph McMonagall's words. And he said that it's beaming something out into like deep space. And he says the the role they have is that of a caretaker. They're taking care of Earth. They don't interact with us. They just they kind of make sure that like it doesn't go to shit. They like the very parameters. They're like they won't let us nuke ourselves, but that's about it. But they're kind of just like keeping tabs on Earth. Another one, Ben Rich, former head of uh, the former CEO of uh, Lockheed Martin Skunk Works, who died in 1995. Everyone knows this quote. We now have the technology to take ET home. Buzz Aldrin said that we need to look at Phobos, the uh, the little monolith on the moon of Mars. Edgar Mitchell, another uh, Apollo astronaut, said that we are warned off the moon because we are too violent. Um, 
what is the third the third astronaut um i can't remember his name not important another thing is the bell the idea that we we crashed uh parts of the lunar modules into the moon after the early apollo programs put seismometers on the moon and they said that it hit the moon and the moon rung like a bell from anywhere from 10 to 11 hours to like 44 hours and thus it sounds or it it reacts as if it was hollow so i don't really know where i'm i'm like tying all these things in together but you can kind of like like a blind person feeling around you can kind of like feel around of these super high up people head of Lockheed martin skunk works two of the 10 or two of the 13 men to or two of the 11 men to walk on the moon like you have these weird things and you can if you start to piece all of them together it all leads to that there is something far more fantastic than even our most ludicrous movies and it and it hides itself Sorry, I definitely just cut you off, but these are like all the things I had to get out of my head. No, it's fascinating. I love I love your rants, <laughs> but um, no, it it's fa- I I could totally see that. It's it's so interesting, and sometimes it's overwhelming to me how whenever you zoom out and you look at all these different you know conspiracies or things that are actually true, and regardless, it's all one big web. It's all part of one, yeah. Everything connected together. And I think that we're so close to pinpointing like exactly what the truth is. Um, the next time I come on your podcast, if your guests will have me back. I don't care if they will. About, I will. <laughs> we should talk about, um, you know, aliens and the Bible and revelations. revelations. We, we, I feel like we're on a continuum here. So we first talked about aliens, now talking about Antarctica, oh. and then all these other uh, undercover bases around the world. And then next episode, we should talk about what the future looks like because these stations around the planet that are already ready to be deployed into space to that are capable of holding masses amount of people are real. Yeah. I mean, real. I, I, I think that the reality of whatever is going on is probably so insane that I do think it hides itself. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not a president having an affair where it's like, ooh, what's going on there? You know, it's not leaking the iPhone 15 where it's like, oh, ho, ho. it's it's so absurd that you look at it. And it's like what Bob Lazar said. He goes, he goes, I think the reason they didn't kill me is because they figured that didn't matter what I said. People would just look at me and be like, oh, really? You worked on flying saucers like kind of hides itself, right? Kind of hides itself. It's just so insane that it kind of hides itself. But I think that is probably the reality is that the reality is just so out of this world, no pun intended, it probably bends your mind. Not just like, oh, there are flying saucers. It's probably like, no, the Great Pyramids are actually relay systems to an alien from a different star system, and we're fighting these people here, and it's all about the subterranean. It's Atlantis to the point where your eyes fall out of your head, and you're just like, no, it can't be true. So you just reject it. Well, one... You know, I think that if you go into all of this with an open mind, you would be very surprised at how much sense. Yeah. Even if the details are off, maybe if you and I are saying things that are totally inaccurate, which could very well be the case. And I'm always learning. I'm always open to learning things. I don't yeah. claim to know everything. Yeah. I don't know half of it. Yeah. But if you go into it, except or open to the idea that the general premise of what we're talking about could be true. 
<laughs> it makes so much sense yeah. about everything else going on in our world. Yeah. And once we can just wrap our brains, that, that's why it would make it would make things so it would, things would progress faster if the government would just out it and acknowledge it, and then we can introduce interplanetary trade at a well-known scale. And we could change the lives here for now. And maybe there is no hope. Maybe what's happening here on Earth is indefensible. That could totally be the case. But then let's talk about it. Yeah. And let's figure out if there's a way to, to have a solution or if there's a species of alien out there that can help us. And if not, or if maybe we're not even fighting against the Earth, maybe we're fighting against an impending doom from another species. That's why you have to have me back on. <laughs> yeah. We can talk about all of that stuff, what all of the theories could be. Um, if people humans we deserve to know by the governments that we elect to represent us they are not above us in terms of being privy to that information and that is why it is so important to have whistleblowers and citizen journalists who are willing to be brave enough to step forward and and tell us tell the public and i know that you could lose your job your whole life could be destroyed but it is like so necessary yeah so necessary um, for the better of mankind. So that's kind of my. We need another. We need another Snowden or Assange or Manning or Lazar. We need another one. We need one to come out. Yeah, we need a huge one to come out. I think what Trump needs to do is Trump just needs to tweet pictures from like Area Fifty One or like from the backside of the moon. Yeah, it makes you wonder actually what he was actually talking about with Putin. Yeah, or the other day when he said, I just want to keep the world from killing itself. Or whenever he said they're trying to, he's like, they're after me, but they're actually after you. Oh, yeah, no, they're not after me. They're after you. I'm just standing between them. You got to think. Well, I mean, what did JFK say? There is a plot on this planet to enslave every man, woman, and child, and I will use this high and noble office to stop it. And then all of a sudden he's gone. Yeah, right? It's... I think that's probably what it is, though, is I think you probably get in there, and it's not only is it insane and evil and insidious, no one would even believe you. If you were like, I'm trying to stop the aliens and the Tricoms from, like, slaughtering all of you, you'd be like, oh, really? Orange man bad. Even people than that, a little bit. I think that if you present people with information... And again, this goes back to the first podcast I did with you, where the internet, I have a love-hate with it. I, but overall, there's we have information at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a lot of crap out there, but there's also a lot of legitimate information out there that we have access to that we otherwise would not have access to if it were not for the internet. Um, and I think that people overall can be open to what the ideas you and I are discussing, even if they don't agree with us, they can still come to the table saying, "Okay, I'm going to give this a shot." You know, what do you have to lose? Is kind of like what I would say. You know, like why, yeah. why, why not contemplate it? Yeah. You know. Um, I think. So. Yeah, I think more people are opening their minds to it. I do. I think. The real woke. Yeah, the real, <laughs> the real woke. Well, I, again, to quote Tim Dillon, he is like, you know, he goes, everyone that's been paying attention to conspiracies, he's like, everything with Epstein, he goes, yeah, we hypothesized it, but it wasn't too surprising. He's like, I mean, it's evil. But he goes, you kind of expect it. You're like, okay, they sacrifice children on private islands. You're like, okay, that's par for the, like, that's expected. These are the people that, you know, did Vietnam and Pearl Harbor and 9-11. He goes, I get it. 
He goes, the problem is, is people that never looked into any conspiracies, and then the first thing they get introduced to is Pizzagate. He goes, their minds melt, and then they have to, nothing makes sense anymore. That's what well, I think. You look into it, it's not just about sex trafficking, which is a huge problem. I know you've had many brilliant people on to talk about that. It's also about testing and the advancement of the human race. Yeah. And hybrid breeds. Yeah. Yeah, animal human hybrids, Alex Jones. But not only that, I mean, think about you. Bring Alex Jones into this. But even with, if I'm saying you could even link it back to aliens. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't even. Everything's linked together. Everything. It's linked together. But it's, Everything. it's not. I mean, Unit Seven Thirty One though in Japan, like we know they did that to to American soldiers. Why wouldn't aliens do it to us? Or why wouldn't we do it for aliens? Just hey, you know, want some people, want some human tissue, you know, give us the flying saucers. Black saucers are the least of our worries, I'm afraid. But well, that's I think that's one of like the quotes. I don't remember who it was. Was it um oh what the heck is his name? Um no, um uh Walter uh Walter Bosley. I remember he said he was like as you go farther down the rabbit hole, he goes you start to realize you're like oh flying saucers are just like he's like, that's just like the opening credits. <laughs> he's like What? of the iceberg it really he's like that's just like the popcorn at the beginning of the movie he was like as you start to look at it he goes just all you like your mind melts mm-hmm. but i think that's probably it yeah i think that i've kind of gone over pretty much the majority of everything i know about antarctica i'm curious to see what people say in the comments i'd love additional resources and gotta gotta work together i will yeah I'll, I'll put I'll, I'll I'll compile all the links that yeah we'll work on that and we'll, I'll put those in the sticky in the top comment and in the description and um all right well I'll, I'm gonna stop recording in a second but um Bethany hey, Rolando what did you say I said I was gonna say Bethany Rolando thank you very much for coming back on it's always it's always a pleasure I need someone that I can that I can share my brain with that I your extra large tinfoil hat today so yeah you know, well, i didn't even put one on i don't need tinfoil anything i'll take it all i don't need i don't need protection it's give it to me i've got my alex jones sweatshirt on i am i am immune to evil spirits i am open i am like plato and aristotle and socrates combined together well this was so much fun thanks for having me back on thank i look you. forward to hopefully uh, next time thank you and uh hold on let me, uh, all right. Well, thanks everybody and uh, stay safe. God bless Friday. Having on uh, Delta Force guys, we're going to talk about election fraud, and YouTube is now canceling channels that do anything about election fraud. So, Friday might be the last YouTube podcast, but we're on Rumble and BitChute, so it doesn't matter. We're going to burn it down anyway. So, uh, stay tuned. And.